And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics' dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Portsign here, joined by Allison Lucan. Hello. And Tom Reed. Hello. It is Tuesday. The Blue Jackets have the New Jersey Devils tonight. Uh, they are looking to win a fourth straight game to improve to 11-5-1 in the Metro. After a rather interesting week, certainly the most interesting week of the season for uh, the Blue Jackets. If you if you put Sunday into last week, it becomes really compelling. The Blue Jackets have won three in a row, as I've said. Uh, they knocked off two division leaders in there, Nashville, uh, on, on uh, Thursday. Then off to Washington for a rousing win on Saturday. And, and then a home win over the Rangers. On Sunday, uh, all of this after we talked about this in the last podcast, of course, the Sergei Bobrovsky uh, incident in Tampa that led to him not being allowed to play or be on the bench uh, against Nashville um, last Thursday. So they have pulled it together here. They play the Devils tonight. And then they got a couple of days off before they play the uh, Canadians and they're back to back with the Wild on Saturday. So another busy week. But, boy, after that wild game, they've got a nice break. The all-star break is upon us. And then a long, the, I think five more days after that, the NHLPA mandated break. So they'll go from after Saturday's game in Washington. We will not hear from the Blue Jackets uh, again, at least on the ice, until uh, January 29th. So a nice uh, 
lengthy break there. So let's get into this week. Um, I thought it was really interesting yesterday. Uh, John Tortorella is getting a little more um, free to discuss the Bobrovsky thing, not any specifics about what he did, but just the impact of it. Uh, the first couple days, it was, oh, no, nothing, nothing, just business as usual. Nope, we're just playing this goalie. You guys are making a big deal out of it. We're not making a big deal out of it. And then yesterday, it was, it's a big deal, but that's good. We needed a big deal. This is the kind of thing that can break up the monotony of a season. Um, when I think he said directly, when shit happens, communication begins, which is a new wrinkle. Uh, that, that should be on a office poster, a motivational tool in a doctor's office somewhere. Uh, where you see those pictures, um, let's let's get into this and and just where what can come out of something like this, Allison. This is almost your expertise, if I'm correct. Um, tell us what this crazy coach is is up to, and what can be the possible benefits of this. First, it he's not wrong to say inject a little energy into the monotony of the season, right? I mean, this is, it kind of wakes you up if you're in the midst of, of a crisis or a problem to be solved or a thing to react to. Um, and as he has historically called these the dog days of the season, this into February. Um, but I, I, I don't think he is doing this as intentionally as, as I outline it, but I do think he's using a very um, common tactic um, in terms of team building um, it's based on a, a theory put forth in a book called Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And the idea is that you can only be an effective team, meaning you can reach your full potential and reach the goals that you set, if right. you have open and honest communication, which is conflict. Because, you know, if I say red, this is red and you say it's pink, that's a conflict. Conflict doesn't have to be yelling and screaming and fighting. It's a difference of opinion. And you have to be able to openly express difference of opinion to be able to get to the right answer of how to move forward. And so it's been my theory for a while because he is such a fan of honesty and of wanting to drive real trust that he uses the tool of conflict to get there. He wants people who are not afraid to say how things are going so that they can become better as opposed to pussyfooting around something or not addressing something that's going on, which results in hurt feelings, which results in personal agendas or not buying in as fully as one should. So I, again, I don't think he's, he's reading the same books I'm reading, but I do think this is the philosophy he's enacting and it's been proven to work as long as it's manifested and facilitated properly. And, and I think he's trying to do that, um, the best way he knows how. I don't think he's trying to create conflict for conflict's sake. I think he's really trying to get to a place of being productive and being honest. Yeah, when he clearly didn't, I mean, this was somebody else's doing. Right, right. Bobrovsky, but it, it, this is, um, I, sometimes I think he says stuff in press conferences to rile people up, to get people pissed off. And I remember Ken Hitchcock, uh, or players saying of Ken Hitchcock that that he actually liked it when they challenged him. When yes. they came back at him, um, and I think John Tortorella wants that. This can be, has been historically kind of a quiet bunch. This group of players, um, and I think he's he's trying to, as he would say, put some skin on them. Yes. Um, and maybe something like that. Maybe something like what's happened the last few days can 
uh, can push them in that in that way. Tom, we've talked about this. Is this guy nuts? This John Tortorella fellow? No, in fact, one of our former, former colleagues, Phil uh, uh, Rabinowitz, did a really good story on 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 this very topic a couple of years ago with Tortorella about how he does not mind conflict at all. Uh, and uh, it was, you know, uh, Torch was very expansive on the topic and, uh, yeah, does not mind a little, uh, doesn't mind button heads as long as it's, it's done in a constructive way. And, of course, Torch always adds his own little flair to it, um, especially with the media. Uh, but yeah, after as you as you uh, pointed out, after a couple of days of I'm not taking any questions, the, the press release speaks for itself. Uh, then of course the press release didn't speak for itself yesterday, and George seemed to have a lot of fun with it. So yeah, slowly it's starting to come out, and I think it helps when the backup goalie wins two huge games against. Uh, you know, th- this might be a different conversation had they lost to Nashville and Washington right now. Yeah. Yeah, and let's talk. I mean, when you're in times like this, it it it's absolutely imperative that players deliver. I think a younger team, a less talented team, whatever, may have fallen to pieces in a situation like this. And so, big kudos to Eunice Corposalo, who was really, really good. Maybe as good as we've seen him play uh, all season. Certainly in consecutive games, he had. I don't. I don't know that they were bad goals late against Nashville, but I, you know, when he popped, gave up the the late two to force a three three tie, you're like, oh no, here we go. He's he's got to give up four a game here. They they might have to score five if they're going to win this game. He came right back the next night and was just really really sound and solid in Washington time. You saw them in Washington. Is that as good as you've seen Corpusalo over an extended sort of window of play this year? Yeah, and I, I would say that. Uh, going back to the Nashville game, certainly the tying goal, there's nothing he could have done. That was the incredibly, they gave up a two on one in the final couple minutes of regulation, which just is never supposed to happen. Uh, but then, at, you know, that game was one where they, they had, they, he had to play, right? Because yeah. uh, Bob was serving his team imposed one game suspension. Now, Torts had the option of going with his. His best goalie, his two-time Vezina Trophy winner, uh, on the road against the defending Stanley Cup champs who beat him 4 nothing the last time they played, even though Torch doesn't remember that, of course. And he said it was a no-brainer to go back to Corpusalo, and Corpusalo delivered. Uh, he was really good, um, especially in the second and third period where, you know, I, I don't think Washington started on the front foot, but they certainly ended on it. Uh, they played really well. And Corpus made a lot of good saves, and he did get a lot of help from his defensemen clearing pucks around the net. And they and I think the team just kind of rallied around him. And uh, this is one of those little stretches you would assume that Bob, at least between now and the trade deadline, gets his game back together. Uh, but I think we'll, we might look back at this at the end of the season and, and remember this as a really important week. And those two performances... Uh, really helps stabilize the team because again conflict is great and all this stuff that we're talking about is spot on but if you go out and shit the bed in both of those games it's a little bit different story yeah and how does the team respond uh to a suspension of your top goaltender if the backup does not perform well and these are obviously really important games they keep winning they keep not moving anywhere in the metro 
because it's been just vicious here lately. Uh, Allison, did you see a different Corpusalo? Is there a way to measure or express what was different about Corpusalo's play in these yeah. last games? Yeah, I mean, I, I the first time I, I mean, obviously on the ice, he looked different. He looked calmer, um, as Torts has talked about. Um, he didn't look like he had to settle in. Sometimes he looks a little more uncomfortable early. Um, but I noticed it too. I don't know if you guys did after the Nashville game, even in his post-game comments, there was an air of seriousness to him that I haven't maybe seen as much before. Um, and, you know, Tom talked about the Washington game. We look at, and I put in our in our game recaps every game, um, the differential of, of the goaltender's actual save percentage compared to what they were expected to have as a save percentage based on the shots they faced. And that game in Washington was actually Corpy's best performance of the year when he's played the entire game. Um, so it was, it was in fact, numerically his best performance against a really good team, which is impressive on, on both sides of that. Yeah. Interesting. And I think there are some other players here too, like, you know, Duclair has, I think, started to solidify himself a little bit in the lineup. And I think he earned some some points with a big uh, block shot. I think that was in Washington. Yep. I think oh. Bertrand. I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. I just, it looked like someone <laughs> clipped him from the stands. I, that was one of the ones you, like, can feel it. Like, you could hear it hit him. And uh, it was like, oh, my goodness. I don't know how he got back up. And we think that's why Cole Sherwood was called up, just the uncertainty about his about uh, Duclair's availability. Uh, I think Bjorkstrand has started to solidify himself a little bit. Um, they're still waiting on some guys to come around. Wenberg, Nash, the I guess you'd say the usual suspects. But they 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 had a pretty impressive week when you think of all the stuff uh, that they went through. Kind of a sloppy effort uh, a couple days ago against the Rangers. You know. I mean, they dominated the first period. They come out of a two to two. I thought they dominated most of the game, and they still couldn't quite shake uh, the Rangers loose, but finally did. And now they've got a game against the Devils tonight, which the Devils are not a very good team, uh, but they do make you skate and play hard. So this will be um, interesting uh, to watch. What a what a pregame it was on Sunday, in, in ways expected and unexpected. Um, let's first start with the national anthem because this, this won't um, won't require a long conversation. But poor Leo, uh, someone forgot to give Leo a microphone. Best I could. <laughs> um, now Leo has pipes, and Leo can sing, but he does need some help projecting in a building as large as Nationwide Arena. Uh, like the true pro that he is. Uh, he sort of looked around and waited for uh, a microphone to come. It never came. And so he said, let's make the uh, best we can out of the situation. And he began asking the crowd to sing with him. And a very nice little moment occurred where the crowd in Nationwide Arena sang uh, the Star Spangled Banner and sang it pretty well. Appeared to know the words, which was pretty impressive in its own right. That's one of those weird things that, that happens in the course of the season that nobody sees coming, maybe never happens again, but it gets stuck in your in your memory bank. Um, and then following that, they they or in, in addition to that pregame, they had uh, Rick Nash, who just announced his retirement, 
come to uh, Blue Jackets Rangers. Of course, those are the two teams he played most of his games with in the NHL. Finished last year with Boston, but is mostly a Blue Jacket and also a Ranger. Uh, and he dropped the ceremonial first buck with his wife, with their three kids. And you he heard cheers. I did not hear any boos at all. Um, and I just wonder what you guys think of, of thought of that um, little expanse there before the uh, game started on Sunday. How, which of those two will you remember most, I guess, because I thought both were pretty cool. Allison? Yeah, I, for me, and, and this is cheating a little bit, because I think there's more to come in terms of honoring Rick Nash in that arena, rightly so. Um, I think the anthem sticks with me a little bit more just because it was a spontaneous event. It was really cool, and it it, it, it sounded great, too. It was just kind of a whole special moment of things coming together um, yeah. that we didn't expect. So I would pick that, and again, with the caveat, because I think that we will see Mr. Nash honored um, in that arena for, for big things here in the future. Yeah. Uh, Tom, let me ask you this, because you, you, we've been around, you saw a lot of Nash games through the years. Uh, you certainly followed him with your beloved Rangers there for, for a time, I think five years. Um, I, I, I said for a while that I thought for sure if Nash came back and played with the Blue Jackets, which I think he would have, had the concussions lifted, um, that I thought if he played again for the Blue Jackets, absolutely no-brainer, Jersey retire. Now that he's retired, I guess I still think that the Jersey ought to be retired. Um, I think it's as much to do with his points. It's, it's as much to do with the all-star berths, the Rocket Richard Trophy, all of the superlatives. Um, I think it's also has to do with how he carried the organization such that it was on his back for the first uh, six, seven years of his career, the dark times that he played through almost without complaint. Uh, and I'm wondering if, if you have any issues at all with them retiring his Jersey. And if you do, what's your, what is your criteria for when a sweater should be lifted into the rafters? So why put a lot into that question, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I, I think he's uh, he's certainly deserving as kind of the things you laid out there. I mean, he was their lone singular star for how many years? Uh, uh, and you, when you think about some of the young kids that he's now we see coming up in the Columbus ranks, the uh, Connor Murphys, the Jack Roslevics. Um, the, the Sherwood brothers, um, who am I missing? I'm missing a big name. Well, you, uh, did you get uh, Sean Corrali, uh, who, yeah. who actually had a chance to play with Nash. Right. Uh, you know, those, every, you talk to any of those kids, the, what's the first name that comes to mind? Uh, it, it was Rick Nash. Everyone either had a Rick Nash jersey or some kind of connection to Rick Nash. Uh, so he really did carry the franchise at a time where, you know, unlike the Minnesota Wild, it did not get off the ground very well. Right. Know, I think the Wild were in the, the, the conference finals in the second and third year, and the Blue Jackets just stumbled along forever. I know Nash wasn't there the first couple, first year or so, but, you know, it were, I, I still th find it amazing that a 19-year-old on an expansion franchise won the Rocket Richard Trophy which right. is amazing. 41 goals as a, as a teenager yeah. on a really bad team. Uh, so 
yeah, so yeah, I, I think it's you know, I, I don't know how many of those guys, if anyone else, deserves to go in a Raptors from that era. But if you're not going to put Rick Nash up there, I don't know until until these guys start winning playoff rounds. I don't know who would qualify. Uh, so yeah, I think it's about time that they that they put someone up there, and I think he's very deserving. Allison, are you on board with this? Yeah, I am, and I think, like Tom said, I in I've mentioned this before. I I think ultimately his his numbers um, will be surpassed if the franchise gets to where it wants to be ultimately. But you know, we talk about the importance of Mr. Mack and bringing hockey to Columbus, and I think Rick Nash is almost the unofficial second there. Um, I, I remember going to you know house leagues at the chillers and all the little kids all wearing 61 right because they all wanted to be rick nash and um i think he's going to be he's going to become almost a a founding father if you will of what hockey looks like in columbus even years from now yeah well i did a little bit of research i'm poking around on a story here Uh, there's only a few teams that have not retired uh, jersey numbers and what i found interesting is the three franchises that that Columbus came in with and that that three-year window where Nashville, Atlanta, and Minnesota came in, Columbus and Minnesota came in uh, the third year. Those teams have not retired a jersey number yet. Atlanta, Winnipeg has not. Winnipeg may have before. The previous team is now, of course, the Coyotes. Um, Minnesota has, has retired the number one, but that's for their fans, which doesn't count. Nothing against the fans, mind you. Um, and Nashville has not retired a sweater. I found that interesting that of, of that wave that Nash is the first guy probably to go. Um, the other team that hasn't done it is San Jose. Huh. I know. Right. And they've got some candidates too. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, I think you gotta be careful with this cause I, you know, I think you can sort of, especially if you're a young franchise, you can prompt a lot of eye rolling with right. if you start just doing it to do it and to make it a big deal. The only uh, thing, what's well, that? No, I was going to make a point, Bill. I'll let you finish yours first. Well, I was just to say the only thing that the league asks is that they obviously have a heads up that they can promote it. Typically, the game is picked up nationally, um, and they don't want you to do it late in the season. So they want it to get out of the way before the games get really, really important. I think it's I think it's almost inevitable that it's gonna happen here soon. In Columbus, and I think it's I think it's absolutely um, justified. Go ahead, Tom, what were you gonna say? Well, first of all, I think it's great that Nash is staying here. And we've we I think we've talked about this so many times in different uh, uh different mediums that that it's there's so many of the, the former Blue Jackets that are staying here, and it really would have been nice. Um, it really would have been nice had he been able to end his career here. I was talking with Jared Bowl yeah. yesterday, uh, and and we were we were talking about it, and he's obviously close with Rick Nash. They played together for years, and he said that if he was going to play uh, this year, there, this was the only team he would have played for. Yeah. Uh, so that, and that, that's really good. And it would have been great because I, I think from a local perspective, we obviously think of what's close to us, the Blue Jackets. 
but I, I, I've been reading stories the last couple of days nationally. You know, Rick Nash's legacy outside of Columbus is international play. Yes. And it is, it's sadly one of the failings of the early Blue Jackets, that when people think of Rick Nash, they don't necessarily think of him as a Blue Jacket. Oh, they'll, they'll, they'll pick out goals, the great goal against Arizona, sure. uh, the Captain Morgan goal he scored. I can't even remember which team that was. But, but they picture Nash with a gold medal around his neck in, in Canada, or they picture him with uh, you know, his playoff performances again with the Rangers. And that is, in some ways, that's a little bittersweet. Uh, and it's, it's, and, that, and again, that's no reflection on Rick Nash, because what did he have around him for so many years? Right. Uh, but that, that is a kind of a tough part of it. And it's really, again, a bit, a bit sad that, that, that I was hoping that he could come back and maybe play, you know, a half season here. And who knows? He could have, he could have helped this team. I mean, he, let's be honest, he can still play the game when he's, when he's fit. And, uh, I just hope that he finds peace and uh, really enjoys his time. I think he's an easygoing guy. I think he will. Yeah, I just hope his head clears. Um, let's scratch at this real quick, though. Like, is there – it's so wide open, I know. It's what the player means to the franchise, to the city, the numbers that they put up, maybe the championships that they win. Uh, do, you, do you guys have, like, a uh, – this is the criteria that must be – met for a player to whose jersey to retire and i i don't i don't have one and i can't come up with one but the one thing i've sort of rested upon and i i think this would be like a product of all of those things considered is i can't imagine somebody else wearing that number for the team like that and like if i can't imagine somebody wearing 61 for the blue jackets so there it is do you know what i'm saying like i don't have that problem when someone put nine on uh, by Borny's number. I don't have that. I didn't have that problem when, when, um, when other guys have picked off other numbers that have come through here. I don't even know who would be under consideration other than Nash by Borny. Uh, but that's, that's sort of what I've been thinking of. And you're like, of course that number should be retired because no one is ever going to wear that number again. Um, what, what, anything you guys can measure your standards by? I mean, for me, I think as I, as I started to think about it at even last night or two nights ago when he was out there, for me, it was almost like I want this player to be part of the story of this franchise prominently. And that visual reminder of that banner keeps him part of the story of this franchise forever. Right. And so it was it for me, it was it's a little bit more about. If, if you want to know about this team, this is part of the story you need to know. That that was kind of what came to my mind. Yeah. yeah Tom, you got anything? Because, like, Ray Bork's number is retired by Colorado. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, that's... Really? He played yeah, one yeah. year there. And he retired his number? But I don't think it's retired by Boston. Yeah, it's... it's uh, so obviously... Obviously, you want to steal a cup, but yeah, one, one, yeah. one year does not. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's it, it. There, there really is no hard and fast rules. Like, I mean, that that's the perfect example. It, it kind of means um, it, to, to different different teams have different thresholds and criteria for this, and I think it's just what makes sense to that franchise. 
I'm trying to, I'm trying to give an example of, of, uh, and it's just off the top of my head. I can't say, okay, here's one that's, and again, I have to go outside the sport, but Nate Thurman in uh, Cleveland, uh, the Cavaliers, right. he spent his entire career. It, it, fans know that the last four years, Golden State and the Cavs met in the finals. And uh, one of the oddities was that Nate Thurman's uh, banner hung over both arenas. Uh, Thurman was a great member of the Golden State uh, Warriors and San Francisco Warriors. And he only played for a couple of years with the Cavs, but he kind of helped turn the culture of the Cavaliers around. And to them, that was very important at the time. This was pre-LeBron, of course. And, but, but he brought in that, 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 that kind of menacing guy that you're not going to mess with us. Uh, he just had that attitude, that swagger, as uh, Torch would say. And that was enough for them. And then he was beloved here in a couple of years. But there are still people that debate, like, really? I mean, he was only here for a couple of years. So I think it does, it really does fall on the individual organizations. I mean, I think the Rangers put, put way too many numbers in the banners or in the Raptors. Heck, they've got two nines and two 11s. I mean, oh, yeah, I much. That's just, just the opposite of, remember, we were talking earlier about who could wear Nash's number. I mean, you know, you know, Adam Graves comes in, wears nine. Uh, and I think, I think, yeah, uh, Vic Hadfield, who was a great Ranger, who just had his number retired. He was the original number 11. And then Messier had no issue with taking his number. At the time it wasn't, Hadfield's number wasn't in the rafters. But so, yeah, I think the Rangers are on the opposite end of the spectrum. They retire everybody's number. And that's, I, I think that's way overboard. Yeah, the Leafs, the Leafs retire everybody's number two. You, yeah. you look, you look yeah. over the rafters, you can barely see the rafters in, in Toronto. It's yeah, great. I mean, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, I, but they did have success during a stretch, and I don't think they've retired a ton of numbers lately, have they? Uh, they did 11 and one full swoop October oh. 15, 2016. They did 11 players, and it just was in the new building. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe since Matt Sundin, anyone's number has been retired. Maybe I'm wrong, but he was part of the the party on October 15, 2016, when they knocked everybody out. Um, I misspoke earlier. Ray Bork is retired by the Boston Bruins. Uh, he may be the only guy to have his number retired twice in the same season by two different teams. Uh, two retirement parties, six weeks apart for Ray Bork. But yeah, now, is Doug Gilmore's number retired by? Toronto, do you have the? You seem like it you're have to be, wouldn't it? Let me look here. He had yeah, it. but what did he win? It is. I mean, he had a, he had a couple of great years there in the early '90s where they were they were the the very close Maple Leafs. But I mean, what did he win? I mean, he was a great player. He's from the kind of where is he from? He's from the same hometown as uh, Don Cherry and the great Scott Arneal. Right. I think they're all from the same hometown. Uh, but anyway. The point is, but he didn't win anything there. Well, the other thing too is he was with so many different teams. Right, he was. He won a Stanley Cup, I think, with Calgary. Right. I mean, what did he? Did he play like five full seasons in Toronto? Four. Yeah, and and you have to remember again that the the, the the Maple Leafs for years have been like the Browns. I mean, all their best highlights were before high definition, and in many cases, color. Uh, so that was a stretch where they were pretty good, and. They're putting numbers up there for guys that are pretty good. And that goes to your whole idea of what is the standard. 
Right. Well, what's weird to me is Pittsburgh has retired two players. Is Michelle Briere one of them? He is. Very yeah, so Michelle Briere, uh, <clears throat> I know I'm going to butcher this, but Michelle Briere died very young. And I know that the great Bob Grove, uh, historian uh, and former uh, newspaper reporter, really made that his passion to get uh, Michelle Briere's number uh, retired. So, again, what is the standard? It's anything the organization thinks sees fit to. Yeah, and, and am I correct? He was in a car accident and died, like, uh, not like immediately, but I, he made it played two or three years in the NHL. Yeah, he wasn't around very long. And, you know, you've got, I'm sure you, you may have a laptop open or something there. Uh, you'd have to give it. Yeah, he, he, I just remember him dying young. But the only other number retired for Pittsburgh is Mario Lemieux, which, well, yeah. And which, and which the great thing there is they took, I don't remember if they took the banner down, but remember he put the night, he came, he came out of retirement. <laughs> Unbelievable. And played again for a couple more years. In fact, played, people sometimes forget, he actually played one year with her, a part of a year with Sidney Crosby. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, it's something to kick around. I mean, I think, I think this is going to be a celebration next season. Um, the league wants to know when it's going to happen. The team will schedule it, and and it'll be part of the schedule release, I'm sure, uh, over the summer, because uh, they, they don't sh- they don't surprise people with these things. This is a this is a celebration long in the making. So, it'll be very interesting to see how they pull it off, because it's the first one. You got to do it right, and you, I think you start a tradition with how you do them uh, with your first one. So that's that's exciting. We're getting old, folks. This franchise is no longer a spring chicken. Um, Allison, what are you looking for this week from the the uh, mighty Blue Jackets again tonight against the Devils? Um, I think there was some concern they were going to run out of gas against the Rangers on on uh, Sunday, but now they've they've got one final push here heading into the break to make some noise. Yeah, after after Torts told us that that fatigue is a state of mind, everyone was proud that they could gut it through and find the energy to get that win. Isn't that the, the way? Um, yeah. <laughs> but three games, I think that um, the guys are rightly looking forward to the break. Um, I think the confidence from this stretch here should carry forward. Hopefully that eyes on whatever deserved vacation or relaxation plans they have doesn't bite them next Saturday. But, they, you know, the Devils, the Canadians, and Minnesota – Yep. that should be a strong way to finish out and, and important to finish out strong so that when they pick up after that long break, they want to continue that versus have to rebuild from that. I know, I know the uh, all-star game is sort of like a whatever in terms of who they pick, but is it, are, are either of you surprised as I am that Artemi Panarin's never been an all-star? Yes. Tom? Uh, no, because of the format, because of the w- just because of the way that the, that the, the thing's set up, which I think is stupid, by the way. I think I, if, if you want to have another conversation, I think it's stupid. They should pick four or five great players and let them have a draft. And let's stop this ignorance of, of taking guys off it because you can only put so many uh, forwards from a certain division. I think it's stupid. Well, the other thing that I think is weird is the, is the league announces that, that they're going to do six, six, is it six, three, and or four, I don't even know what the hell it is, six, three, and two in terms of each division. I think yeah, that's I, it's, it's just dumb. It's just it really dumb. And then they announce it, and you're like, well, wait a minute, that's seven forwards and two defensemen. 
And the league says, yeah, but who cares? It's the All-Star game. And you go, well, then why say 6-3-2? and two? Just say best nine players and two goalies. You know what I think they should do? I think they should just send the Blue Jackets because it's a three-on-three format. They'd kick everybody's ass. Yeah, but the game would be over in a minute and a half. Well, it did take them a while the other night. I was like, come on, what's, what's going on here? Oh, this took like four minutes. Uh, they, lost a, they even lost a face-off. No, that was, yeah, Doobie's got to get back. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they missed. They certainly missed him on the last faceoff when Kuznetsov uh, did his little bird dance. Oh, you expect any ramifications from the bird dance when they play in February? Well, for for our sake and for the fans' sake, I'm sure it's funny. I thought Kuznetsov handled it fa- fairly well. I mean, again, for the for the people that were living in Iraq, Kuznetsov of course does that when he scores, and he hadn't scored in 17 games. So, you know, he does it. He does it kind of in front of the bench because the shot was from way out above the top of the circle. And he turns and does it. And after the game, the Blue Jackets end up winning the game. Uh, and a couple of the Blue Jackets, I, I know Jones. And who was the other one for sure? Cam. Oh, Dubois. And uh, Cam's Dubois. in there too, yeah. Cam's yeah, so they're, they're kind of doing it. And, and Kuznetsov has a, just a nice funny response to it like oh i'm glad people are paying attention to me uh it's just like they did in april basically saying i kicked the blue jackets ass with eight points in six games and fair uh that's that's fair but then tom wilson who who right off the bat says i didn't see it but then it goes on to give this like rambling commentary on it that uh you know there's some animosity and this and that and it's like what are you talking about? It's just a little fun. I mean, the Blue Jackets are having fun. Uh, Kuznetsov certainly was having fun. And Tom Wilson's like the 75-year-old man in the room. And like, come on, dude. It's, it's 2018. It's, that's what the internet is in, in, and memes and gifts are all made for. Well, Andy, you just won the cup. You just won the cup. Oh, whatever. Doesn't Tom Wilson always aim high anyway? Oh. 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 Yeah, you're you're right, Aaron. They that's it's almost like act like you've been there before, right? Right. It's right. like they, they they have this. I again, I that was the only thing about the whole thing that I found crazy was Tom Wilson's response to it. It's like, you know, Kuznetsov handled it perfectly. The Blue Jackets had their little fun. It made for a great little, uh, you know, it made, again, it made a great little gift or gif. I don't never know how to pronounce the thing. Um, and you know everyone had fun except Tom Wilson, who was just like taken well, aback by it. Well, didn't Sir, Tom Wilson say it, it that now officially it's a rivalry? Wasn't that part oh, of his quote? Oh, good lord! Please, let's not stop talking about rivalries in Columbus, please. I, I, we'll know. We won't need to talk about it. We'll. It'll just happen. I, listen, it was Tom Wilson, not me. Right. I know. I know. Let's settle down on the rivalry talk. Messenger, not shooting. Win a a playoff series. Take it easy, Willie. All right, let's get out of here. Um, Devils tonight. Blue Jackets have won three in a row. Things seem to be sailing along here. Uh, Final push before the playoff, or before the All-Star break, forgive me. Uh, Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for uh, reading our stuff. As always, there's a whole bunch of stuff up there on the old athletic website. Uh, for Tom Reed, for Allison Lukey, and Aaron Portsline, saying thank you, and we'll talk to you soon.
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.